This is Wyman and Bob on Seattle Sports Station. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Now, here are your hosts, Dave Wyman and Bob Stelton. Well, the football season has officially come to an end, Dave. We'll talk draft and free agency and all that, but now we turn our attention to the world of baseball because spring training will be happening before we know it. We'll be down there, cannot wait, and a lot of what we'll see on the field will be a result of the work some of these players have done locally out here at uh, Driveline Baseball, which we hear referenced a million times, but you're like, ah, what, what is it? What, what goes on there? Well, now we're going to find out because the director of pitching at Driveline Baseball is with us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. He is Chris Langan. Chris, how are you, sir? Good. Thanks for having me, guys. Hey, it's it's good to talk to you. And, and, and as I was saying there, we, we hear Driveline referenced a million times, and we just kind of roll with it like, oh, yeah, he was working out at Driveline. For, for those that aren't aware of what Driveline Baseball is, just let our listeners know what happens there, who goes there, what what's what's going on in that building. Yeah, basically it's uh, all centered around player development. So guys in the offseason, we do a lot of in-season stuff as well uh, for, for the big league guys. But basically it's an off-season program. We utilize data. Uh, we'll have guys do like biomechanic reports. Um, and we really try to use numbers to get guys to basically perform to what's optimal for them. That's kind of the the quick summary of it, Spark Notes version of it. I could go way more in detail, but uh, that's probably the the good summary there. Well, Chris, how did you uh, how did you come about this? How how did this start? And then you know when did you start working with big league pitchers? And just give us a little bit of uh, insight of what what are some of the things you're working on. Sure. Uh, for me, I guess it started because uh, in high school, I grew up in Nebraska and threw about 83, and I wanted to throw a little harder than 83. So uh, kind of did some research on my own, um, coached a bit in high school, coached a bit in college, got to driveline as an intern, um, worked my way up to full time. And then probably about two years ago, had my first MLB guy. Um, and then I got the director job basically three months ago or so. So it's been uh, that's kind of my story, I guess. And then for driveline, um, in general, it's been kind of started uh, really about 10 years ago, but over across the last about five, I'd say, you started getting some big league clients. And uh, nowadays, I mean, we've had about 40, 40 or so guys, uh, major leaguers assess just this offseason. So that's kind of been the trend. So what, do players come to you on their own or is it, do you guys work with the teams or maybe the pitching coach, say of the Mariners saying, hey, I'd like you to work with Matt Brash on this, that, and the other, or is this something that's completely independent of the team? Uh, so it depends on the case. We do have teams that will send us guys, um, and they'll actually pay for it. So that will become very direct. Uh, we've had cases where the player comes and they're cool with us essentially sharing the data with the coach and the information. Um, and then do we do have cases that are, are a bit more independent and, you know, part of honestly the draw to drive line for some of these guys is having it be independent per se. I would definitely say for the manners, that's not the, not the case at all. Like they definitely, uh, they're pretty well regarded in terms of how they develop guys, the the information they use. Um, but it is kind of a balance of, of those three. Yeah, Chris, and uh, as you mentioned, we're going to, or Bob mentioned, we're going to talk about uh, uh, Matt Brash certainly. But who are some of uh, who are some of the guys that that can be seen at uh, Driveline working out? Uh, so I mean, there, there's a few uh, Logan Gilbert and uh, Matt Festa. Actually, they came up with Brash. Uh, basically right after the year, to be honest with you. Um, so those may be the, the local crowd, so to speak. Uh, I mean, a fun one's uh, Zach Grinky. He's actually been in a bit in uh, Arizona. That's probably, you know, 
been the highlight of my life, so to speak. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, it's gotten to the point where there are, you know, there's enough guys you don't necessarily have to, you know, name, you know, half a dozen, uh, you know, it's, it's quite, it's quite a few guys nowadays, to be honest. So those are kind of a, a couple that may be relevant with your audience for sure. Do you have those fan moments where you're like, man, I can't believe I'm, I'm working with, so I'm working with Grinky, I'm working with Brash or whoever, or are you pretty numb to it at this point? Uh, I'd say at this point you kind of reach a resistance to it, so to speak, and you kind of, to be honest, you kind of have to to be professional. Uh, I mean, I, 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 I mean, I grew up, a, I grew up a Royals fan, uh, and I mean, I remember Grinky pitching in 2009. It was like the first good thing that had happened to the Royals since George Brett played, you know. So, yeah. um, but 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 I kind of I resisted telling him any of that. I don't think he would have necessarily liked to have heard that. So. Um, but, but in general, yeah, you, you kind of grow numb to it. You grow resistant, and you kind of just put the time towards, all right, we need to we need to tell this guy the truth. We're not trying to be uh, – I mean, to be frank, we're not really trying to be friends with them. I mean, if they're going to keep coming to us, we gotta we got to get them better, you know. So we're, we're willing to have those tough conversations um, as needed. And as a result, you you got to kind of – if you're inside or kind of like, dang, this is pretty cool, you got to be a little resistant to showing that, I'd say. <laughs> Yeah, you don't want to be like Chris Farley, like <laughs> Granky. Do you, do you remember when you <laughs> threw a no hitter? That's awesome, man. Yeah. So um, yeah, tell us a little bit about Matt Brash. So Chris, we've heard so much about him, and you know, from other pitchers like Ryan Roland Smith, and you know, from Pete Woodworth about you know how special he is, and he's got some some really sort of interesting movement on on his off speed pitches, things like that. But uh, tell us. Tell us what uh, what your impression is of, of Matt and what you're working on with him. Sure. So, I mean, the, the known things, obviously, are, I mean, I, I think you could pretty pretty realistically say his slider is maybe the best pitch in terms of, like, pitch movement and velocity uh, in, like, Major League history. Like, I actually think it's, like, that uh, absurd how good the stuff of that pitch is. Um, and the curveball is obviously pretty darn good, too. It's got a little more depth, so it can kind of be the uh, another option for left-handed hitters. And then really the, the fastball, in my estimation, at least the biggest thing it has going for it is just it's thrown extremely hard. Um, but the, the movement profile, at least last year on it, wasn't necessarily great. So it was difficult without uh, elite command, which he just doesn't have, and that's okay, um, to really get results uh, as a starter with the pitch. And then even out of the bullpen, um, really his results were a lot better when he went to those breaking pitches. So the number one thing, uh, was really getting him something that can kind of merge that gap between this disgusting slider that guys are going to be kind of resistant to swinging the bat at at times. Um, and his stuff is really just too nasty to to be reliant on guys kind of standing there holding the bat in their uh, shoulder. And really, when he started, uh, guys just didn't swing at anything, whether it was in the zone, out of the zone. So they really made him work to land those breaking balls. Those pitches can honestly be pretty difficult to command. Um, and then when he went to a fastball, uh, it really doesn't have the movement profile where you can just kind of throw it down the middle uh, and get away with it. So the cutter was kind of the big thing development-wise uh, that, that he's been working on, that he's been throwing over there. Um, and, and really, it's kind of the pitch that is right in the middle of uh, those other two pitches where there's a fastball, uh, a breaking ball with some incredible movement that's mainly swing and miss. Uh, you just need something in between uh, to kind of basically force them to swing the bat at something that's not a fastball. That, yeah. That's really the main purpose of it. Well, and Chris, you said something about command and that, like, um, you, you weren't worried about that or something. Uh, is that because that's something you feel like you can you can fix? It's not a not going to be a problem. So the the command really is probably the biggest 
issue with his talents overall. Um, and, and then when you, when you match that with the pitch shapes he throws, the slider and the curveball, especially in, when you talk about it from a starting pitcher context, and, and I know we've got the information on him kind of coming out of the pen uh, for, for the time being and whatnot, but uh, the, it's just very difficult to command those two pitches, regardless really um, of how good your command is at a base level. And then when Matt's, I mean, it, just to be honest, his command as a starter was a bit below average. I think the best way to develop uh, his ability to start and to get better results out of the bullpen is to just throw a, a pitch that kind of leans into a little bit of cut, which would basically be the cutter rather than throwing a big breaking ball. Um, and basically the hitter has to stand up there and he's got three pitch shapes he has to worry about now. And if you throw a four-seamer 98 down the middle or a cutter at 94 or a slider at 88, it gives you the ability to not necessarily have to command any of those individual pitches great. Um, because there's so much guessing there, you can kind of get away with throwing each of those pitches over the radius of the strike zone. So are you working, I assume it's all of this, but I, you're working with guys who are trying to improve their repertoire, obviously, and trying to trying to work with their command and, and, and sort of perfect pitches. But I'm curious for guys that are coming back from maybe surgeries or injuries and things, and maybe maybe it's a confidence thing. Maybe it's having a belief in what they used to be able to do. Are you guys kind of on the mental side of that as well, kind of working with somebody to regain mentally what they had prior to perhaps an injury or even just coming off a really down year? Yeah, for sure. It's always dependent. I'd say Matt, to be honest with you, Brash is probably the guy that typically when people think of driveline and what driveline does, that's like the last person they think that would come to driveline, to be honest with you. Typically, it's guys who have uh, faltered in velocity. Um, that is at least like, you know, before 2020. That, those were typically the guys that people would think of as, hey, that's where that guy needs to go. Um, and, and since then, really, it's been we've got things with command we can do with intended zones um, where you kind of can click a location, guy throws it, you can see how much he misses by. And that can kind of, one, give them an ability to actually quantify their command. And two, uh, sometimes they just see where their pitch misses and they can adjust the target where they're trying to throw the pitch in the direction of that miss, if that makes sense. Um, but certainly uh, for Matt, it was more of just like that one specific pitch. Uh, and it's kind of a way to basically, we're, the biggest thing you're just trying to negate walks there. You're, you're trying to make it so if it's a 2-1 count, you can't just sit fastball. And also, if you're throwing a slider, uh, like it, it's just like you do not have to land this big pitch shape. Um, so it's always dependent on the pitcher, but we certainly do, whether it's command, pitch shaping, um, getting guys back from injuries. Um, it's kind of the whole ball of wax. Yeah, and Chris, uh, you know, like you said, you, you've got Major League Baseball teams sending you um, pitchers. And w- was that something that you uh, – tell us about how you developed that relationship with Major League Baseball because I think a lot of people would think, well, you've got one guy teaching him this and one guy teaching him that. And so t- tell us how that uh, that relationship with MLB came up. Sure. So uh, a lot of times it is 100% dependent on the team. We're going to have certain teams are going to be far more willing to – uh, communicate certain players would, to be honest, they prefer the team doesn't know about it, you know? So it is a, a bit dependent there, but it's gotten to a point where uh, there is enough driveline guys that have gotten hired by MLB teams. Um, I mean, the Mets director of pitching, the Yankees director of pitching, the Dodgers director of pitching. Um, and our last director of pitching at driveline is now the assistant big league pitching coach with the angels. So to be frank, that's kind of where a lot of those relationships come from. Um, but it, again, it, it does definitely depend on the team um, and whether or not there's going to be like a ton of exchange of information there. 
So is this is this strictly working with pros and pro prospects, or could I walk in there and say, hey, man, I need to get my fastball up over 60 miles an hour, and I need help? <laughs> oh, uh, 100%. We've got men's league hitters. We've got, we've got everything you can honestly think of. Uh, now, that's not going to be our – we probably couldn't make a legitimate living uh, if that was our only target audience, but uh, we, we've had some we've had some unique cases. I'll put it that way. But yeah, it's it's mainly high school, college professionals. Uh, that's the main group. But we can certainly I can pitch it to my CEO too if you want. If you, if you think that's a good idea, we'll, we'll get a, another group going there. Hey, Chris. Now, are you down at uh, in Peoria? Is that where you're located, or down in Arizona? Yes. So we're in uh, Scottsdale. We're okay. in Scottsdale right now. So I used to live in Scottsdale. We're coming down for spring training. I'd have to see what the pricing is, but I I was at one of those booths where you, the radar gun, yeah. you know, and uh, it, it was like sixty, sixty or sixty one. But so you're not I'm throwing thinking, you're not throwing off a mound there, so that's yeah. But still, I, I feel like we we might need to come down and see you. <laughs> there we go. Hey, well, hundred percent. He'll get we'll us up to six, for a little more traffic. Sixty five, sixty six miles an hour, whatever <laughs> yeah. it takes. There you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, so I want to on ramp a little bit though, but yeah. So okay. are, are you guys kind of split evenly amongst, you know, pitching clients, hitting clients? Is there, you, do you feel like there's, it's, it's more directed at one or the other, or is it just kind of, you, you've got kind of a 50-50 split? Uh, so there's definitely a bit more pitching. Uh, I mean, we, to be honest, we started pitching earlier. Uh, hitting didn't start maybe till about four or five years ago. So we've had a, you know, naturally we've got a bit more progress on that side of things. Um, but both are certainly trending in in the right direction. Um, also, hitting is just uh, it's a lot. I'll put it this: it's a lot easier to train about twenty guys in, in one room that are pitching than it is hitting. I mean, you got you, there's a little more restrictions there uh, in terms of hey, you got a guy with a bat up there and there's a ball coming in, he's got to kind of see the ball flight of it. Um, so sometimes just naturally, it's a more difficult to get as many people in the building for that. Just the uh, the trainer to athlete ratio. But I'd say it's, uh, there's more pitchers, but the hitting has certainly trended upward uh, in a really good direction, especially this past year. And I think mainly it was just, you know, they got a bit of a late start, uh, having not started as quickly as the pitching did here. Now, Chris, do you ever get on the sort of human side of it, like a guy's demeanor when he's, is it all strictly technical or do you also, you know, Talk a little bit about, you know, maybe some guys get angry or they get, you know, their emotions get involved. Any any work in that regard? Uh, I'll be honest with you on that one. I, I don't think people necessarily are going to come to us for that. And there's a little bit of vulnerability in admitting that, but it, it does keep people knowing that, hey, if I'm coming here, this is the main thing I am coming for is something more like, hey, if, you're, if your command's, you know, if you're struggling and you're walking, guys, that 100% can be a component of it. But here is like a player development solution for that that's away from that you know we probably to be honest uh that that's not something we probably put uh all of our resources into if that makes sense um so there's probably not as much commenting on that just because there's a lot more conviction on hey this is kind of this is the main stuff we're good at you know it's like if uh the raisin canes they sell chicken fingers and french fries like we're going to kind of keep it and kind of make sure we dominate those two things first Mm -hmm. As far as Brash goes, you know, the news was he's working on a cutter. You guys are working on that with him. We saw some video that looks crazy. How developed was it when he got there? Was it developed at all, or was he coming in with, hey, I, I really want to perfect this thing? Take us through that particular pitch. Yeah, so uh, he hadn't really, my understanding, thrown it at all. And looking at his break plots, I don't know. He, it might have, maybe he maybe like tried it in a bullpen or something. 
Um, but when he came in, basically Festa, Matt Festa actually came in probably about two months prior, just during the season to kind of talk a little bit. Um, and then he was, to be honest, I mean, I talked to Festa a bit about it. I put out a tweet, uh, kind of tried to, to hunt down Grashevit, so to speak. It eventually got to him, and then Festa kind of maybe nudged him last second there. Um, but, yeah, the main thing was just he's never thrown a pitch like this before, right? So he's so used to seeing that slider move about 15 inches. Um, you got to find a grip. Grap, uh, Brash has very unusual fingers. Um, also, like, finding a pitch grip for him, I mean, it, it was kind of difficult because the way he drifts the ball is just so niche compared to every single other player uh, that I've worked with. So that took a decent amount of time. And to be frank, the first the first day didn't, like, go that well. It, you know, he was kind of backing him up, and he, he couldn't find a grip that he liked. Um, and then he came back two days later, basically, during his assessment. And that's basically where we saw, hey, you threw about 15 of these, and, you know, 11 of them were acceptable. Uh, two of them were good. Uh, and at that point, you kind of just keep hammering it down uh, for the rest of the offseason. Um, and you kind of just he, he gets familiar with what the pitch is, the purpose of the pitch is. It's not meant to strike out guys like his slider necessarily. Um, and he's able then to lock in the movement a, a bit better throughout that time. When you talk about his fingers, are you talking about the, the grip itself or does he have odd fingers? <laughs> his middle finger, he can hook the ball. Like, uh, it, it's nothing. Like, the only other guys I can think of is maybe Alex Cobb. He's with the Giants and Strowman. Marcus Stroman, but he has his middle finger. I, I don't even know really how to explain it, but he can grip the ball, and I think it's why he spins it so darn well, and he can just, like, apply force to the ball forever. And the more I think about it, the more difficult it's going to be to be able to describe over the radio. Uh, <laughs> he, can, he, can, he can do things with that middle finger that probably, you know, that probably explains why he can throw uh, a slider like he can because he can just impart force to that ball uh, almost forever. Uh, it, it seems like. And when you see the ball come out of his hand on like our edutronic cameras, it just can make it basically you can see the, it slows down the ball. So you, or it slows down the pitch out of the hand. So you can see what's happening. It seems like that thing's sticking on there for, for a super long time. It allows him to apply force um, through that baseball on the outer side of it and throw that wicked slider. And then he kind of does the same thing with that cutter. Now um, it's not necessarily as, sexy on a pitch model per se, but, but I think it's certainly um, it's better than his four-seamer and will complement his four-seamer a lot. Um, a, a good comp on Luis Castillo, he got all kinds of whiffs with his four-seam fastball, and his four-seamer is basically the same as Matt's. The difference is Luis throws a, a sinker with it, and to be frank, his sinker is kind of the pitch that people see on the report, I think, a lot of the times. Um, and when you're balancing those two pitch shapes, that can then make your four-seamer play up uh, mm. above what it's current potential is so that's another benefit of that director of pitching at driveline baseball chris langan has been our guest here with wyman and bob seattle sports station on 710 chris really interesting stuff appreciate you taking the time and hopefully uh when we're down there in arizona for spring training we can come by and you can you can help dave and i work on our game hey sure thing we'll get up to 65 guys <laughs> yeah baby thanks chris thanks chris there you go. Chris Langan of Driveline Baseball. Good stuff. Interesting how they work with those guys and seeing the video of, of Brash working on it. And apparently he's got odd Weird an odd fingers. middle finger. <laughs> I know the next time we, we interview him, you're gonna be like, Let me let me see your hand. Flip me off. Come here, let me I see want to see that. you flip me off. Yeah, let me see. What do you do with that middle finger? Yeah, is it is it like two inches longer than yeah. the rest of his fingers or something? Well, it's very interesting that this guy his his line of work and what, what they're doing, because yeah. 
they're small movements, right? Uh, I mean, it's not some big difference. I mean, the pretty much everybody throws the same except for the submariners, right? But you're talking about grip and arm angle. And did he, what did he say about a slider? Something about NFL, or I'm sorry, M- MLB history? Yeah. Something yeah, about high praise. Well, I mean, I've heard that same thing from Ryan Roland Smith, where he's like, I've never seen anything like it. And I'm like, wow. Because nobody's had that crazy middle finger. <laughs> Maybe that's it. I don't <laughs> know. That's that's pretty in- amazing endorsement there for him. So, yeah, I think he's he remains you – know, he's right up there with – well, I don't want to say he's up there with Jared Kelnick, because Kelnick is one – I think is the biggest mystery. But I feel like as, as much as uh, there is to, you know, look at potential and what a guy – I mean – this guy, it's almost like a, it's become like a legend to me about Matt Brash. You're fascinated by Brash. I am by hearing things that you know coaches and other players are saying. Like this is really something different. I mean, you don't hear that very often. Yeah, if he can, you know, come up with some sort of command because that was his issue. His stuff and velocity and all that was never an issue. It was he again back to back games. He walked ten guys. Yeah, you just can't do it. Him is as filthy as his stuff can be. You're loading the bay. You got way too much traffic out there, and now he's as a reliever. Uh, you, you look at it and go, "Well, you got to be even more precise because we're bringing you in, you know, in a situation yeah. where we, we, you know, we're we're down a run or we're up by a run. We need you to hang on to the lead or not let them expand the lead. I mean, it's more crucial for that command. So that's been his only, you know, negative, if you will. Is yeah. it, and it's amazing he throws as hard as he does, and he's such a small. He's his stature. He's a small guy. Yeah. So it just, but yeah, his his stuff is pretty ridiculous, especially when you see it from behind him. That video we were looking at that that uh, thumb sent us. It's pretty crazy to see the ball do what it does, and it's all because of his crazy middle finger. <laughs> all right, if you missed any of our conversation with Chris Langan or anything from our show, you can go to our podcast page at seattlesports.com. Just click on the podcast tab, click on our picture. Make sure you hit subscribe while you're there. Then you never have to worry about that process again. Coming up, the Eagles didn't win, but we learned a lot about Jalen Hurts. We'll get into that next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports Station on 710. Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports Station. Our thanks to Chris Langan, director of pitching at Driveline Baseball, who joined us in the previous segment. Some really interesting stuff for baseball fans out there on how they work with different athletes, and more specifically Matt Brash and the cutter and his his crazy finger that's unlike anybody else's that allows him to put movement on a pitch unlike anybody else. And yeah, yeah, just interesting stuff. We got to go see him. Yeah, um, that'd be fun. I wasn't so much tweaked by the whole sixty-one miles an hour. It was just that Danny was like within three miles per hour. Of yeah, me. but you know me, Bob. I'm a location pitcher. That's right. I mean, with the snowballs hitting <laughs> the post right. in the back backyard. You're all about accuracy. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm like Marco, pretty much. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was good. Hope it would be fun to go there and just see what it looks like, just to even take a tour of it the really place would. and look around. And I would just love to hear like what are the conversations they have? Like are you, you know, we could have interviewed him for another half hour, but like okay, are you telling him, you know, put his elbow here or does it need to be this or are you looking at film? I mean, there's all kinds of things that goes into the mechanics and you know, if you have just one little tweak that gets you just like one or two degrees on a in an angle on your arm or your legs or whatever, could be all the difference. Uh, somebody, uh, the 208, says he shows his grip and middle finger on one of the pitching ninja videos. It's crazy. Hmm. I have to look it up. I don't. I didn't know he had a... Pitching ninja? In, 
an odd middle finger. Yeah. I'll, <laughs> I'll it. That's strange, man. Well, like, I was thinking like you, that it was like uh, like DeAndre Hopkins. He has those ridiculously freakish hands that yeah, are like those long, long finger. fingers. Goodness gracious. Uh, all right. So looking at the uh, quarterbacks in, the, in this game, they both played really, really well. And I would say Mahomes, just based on what he was dealing with in terms of injury, was more, I mean, he had to gut it out. He really had to, you know, came up with some crucial plays. He was wildly efficient, 21 of 27, three touchdowns, no turnovers, six carries for 44 yards. But the big numbers were Jalen Hurts, 27 of 38, 304 yards with a touchdown. He had 15 carries for 70 yards and three rushing touchdowns. He had a heck of a day. The only, you know, I guess black mark on his his resume for the day was that turnover, which again was really costly turned into a touchdown for the for the uh chiefs and it was ju- it was just kind of an odd mishandle of the ball i guess he because i thought initially oh did somebody swipe at it and maybe just knock it out and no it was just one of those unforced just lost the grip of the football unfortunately yeah. but he played great and he's a guy that at least i've looked i won't speak for you but i've kind of looked at and i think at the last game going yeah he wasn't really that impressive in the last game you know watching him throw the ball and and you know he's certainly good he's certainly an athlete and he's he's incredibly what do you have 13 rushing touchdowns this year i mean yeah the guy is an absolute weapon but i was i was impressed with with the way he threw the ball with the exception of the final throw which i still don't know what happened on that one but the way he threw the ball i thought he looked really really good last night it was really good performance by both uh, quarterbacks because Mahomes was like seventy eight percent, no interceptions, and then same thing for uh, for Hertz. He was seventy seventy one percent and three hundred and four yards. Pretty pretty impressive. A lot of those. What do you think about the? Uh, they were talking to maybe on the the broadcast a little bit about if the NFL is going to take a look at that third and short and fourth and short formation that they get Isn't into. Isn't that crazy? That was unstoppable. It, it really was. And you know, look at. I always thought. I remember that there was a certain term we used to use for it, but uh, we would use on field goal rush where you would line up behind the guy in front of you and just push him, mm-hmm. you know. And a lot of times that happens, you you lose your feet, you right. know. And so the the way they've got that down, I would think, though, that you don't want two big, strong guys behind your quarterback shoving him into a pile of humanity. Especially if something's <laughs> I mean, being bent awkwardly yeah. and they're just they're exacerbating it. Yeah, you could see that go wrong. Yeah, so I, I, it's working out for him, though. I mean, I, I feel like Kelsey does a really good job of getting very, very low and still able to, to get some traction. But um, It almost looked like a, like a, a kneel-down formation. Yeah. Like at the end of a game, it was tighter, but... Just the way they were set up, it looked like end of the game, taking a knee, and hey, we got the guys here to protect. Yeah, it was and and the Chiefs couldn't stop it. Yeah, if you know the snap count, it's it's that much different, and that you know kind of goes to show you how athletic those big guys are. Even the big guys, how quick they are, just their reactions of getting off on the ball. So, yeah, that was that was kind of strange, but I, I thought that uh, I thought Hertz was was really good as well, and you know Patrick Mahomes was was very gracious uh, about him, you know, afterwards. And, you know, was talking about... At first, I was like, is Patrick Mahomes saying uh, I'm disproving my doubters? And I'm like, wait a minute. Does anybody doubt you? But Maybe he's talking about the he, injury or something? No, he was talking about Jalen Hurts. Oh, okay. Well, here's, the, here's Patrick talking about how impressed he was with Hurts. Yeah, I mean, if there was any doubters left, there, there shouldn't be now. I mean, the way he stepped up on this stage... Um, and ran through the ball, whatever it took for his team to win. 
I mean, that was a special performance. That I, I don't want to get. Lo- I don't want it to get lost in the in the the loss that they had. I mean, even in, whenever we got all the momentum in that game and and we went up eight points in the fourth quarter, for him to respond and move his team right down the football field and run it in himself for the two point conversion, it was a special performance by him, man. And uh, I mean, it, you make sure you appreciate that when you look back on this game. Boy, he's got a weird voice, <laughs> but. Yeah, he's right. I mean, that's very gracious, and and he's right. A heck of a game by Hurts, man. And he's everybody talks about his ability to squat six hundred whatever pounds. Apparently, he's he's got just crazy strength. Good lord, you saw it. He got hit. Was it the two point conversion? There was one where he looked like he was going to be conversion. He got hit short of the goal line by about a yard or so, and he just plowed his way through it. I mean, he's. He's a weapon. The, the the thing about those guys, anybody who's just really, really mobile, whether it's Lamar Jackson, whether it's him, whether it's Russell in his prime, whether it's Michael Vick, is you wonder, okay, what are they going to look like when that starts to erode a bit? As they get older, you're going to lose yeah. some speed. Maybe you're going to suffer an injury. Somebody, we're seeing it with Lamar Jackson. He's been injured the past two seasons. So what kind of impact does it have on his mobility? Is he less likely to run? When that happens invariably, age or injury, what kind of quarterback are they? Are they able to adapt? Are they able to still be as effective with their arm and being, I guess, having to be a bit more traditional than they would otherwise be? Yeah, well, it's it's interesting you bring that up because I'm thinking if I'm his coach, I'm thinking I think we can go for another five years with the way he's running. Certainly, it, right? Yeah. You know, and you, you get a lot out of a guy if you can get that much, and it's been going on for a couple of years now. So 13 touchdowns. Wow. Uh, you know, and uh, for Patrick Mahomes – I mean, is there? Does anybody hate Patrick Mahomes? If or, they do, I feel they're the problem. Yeah. Well, the same thing with Andy Reid. Yeah. You know, I mean, they're the problem. Yeah, I think I can understand Kelsey. Some some people might say, "Oh, he's a big mouth." I, I think he's hilarious. Um, and well, Justin from Brock and Salk tweeted out, "He remains the most unlikable guy in the NFL." Travis Kelsey? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, but well, he's also a, a hardcore Bengal. Justin is a huge Bengals fan, and I, okay. I don't think he loved that Kelsey was, you know, yelling. Calling about, their mayor a jabroni? Yeah, and all that after the game. But was saying funny. he remains the most unlikable guy in the NFL. I'm like, really? I can think of a few others. I, I dislike all. I like Kelsey. Yeah. I think he's fine. And he does everything with kind of a smile. Yeah. Exactly. You know what I mean? There's some guys who come off as... Aaron Rodgers. Some guys who come off is like, yeah. no, they're not kidding around. They're kind of, they're kind of jerky. He he seems like he's just playing. A, he's like a cartoon character. Yeah. Well, anyway, I, Jalen Hurts. I I really like this guy. Um, I feel like he. This is kind of the same thing he's talking about here as flushing a deuce, but he's not really Bob <laughs> uh, saying that. But I just I, I like also his leadership and just the things he has to say. I will say I'm so proud of this team for. Everything that we've been able to overcome, obviously we had a big-time goal in the end that we wanted to accomplish, and we came up short. You know, I think the beautiful part about it is everyone experiences different pains. Everyone experiences different um, agonies of life, but you decide if you want to learn from it. You decide if you want to use that to be a teachable moment, and I, I know what I'll do. That's amazing. Amazing young man. I, I really just, like I said, everything that that, that guy says, I, I think that's a great leaner, so, leader. Hey, by the way, did you see Nick Sirianni get teared up 
at the oh he was he was they were streaming bawling yeah during the national anthem yeah he liked it as much as I did more <laughs> were you at I home didn't, crying about no I didn't cry I was just going this is really good but he yeah. was he was sobbing out there yeah one well, you know maybe it was the rendition but also I think it was just a lot of uh, you know the emotions coming through of how far you've had to had to go to get where you are right there I thought that part was really cool really cool but um, yeah same thing with Hertz I mean I feel like this team is built for you know, to be good for a long time, which is unfortunate for the C- if you're in the NFC. Yeah, yeah, it's problematic. Yes. <laughs> All right, coming up, we touched on this earlier, but how did such a big game, the biggest game there is, the biggest TV event in all of TV every single year, get played on such a bad field? We'll get into that next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports Station on 710. Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports Station. It's not sexy, Bob. I find her very sexy. No, I'm not talking about you. <laughs> I find me very sexy. <laughs> what in the world are they talking about oh, during the break? These, these in between, uh, these these conversations that happen. Mm, mm, mm. All right, moving on, moving on. Uh, we touched on this earlier in the show, but just the idea that the field was as bad as it was that it wasn't just you, it wasn't just me. I was. All over social media, saw Schlereth just railing about it. Uh, was he? Quandre Diggs and all these. I was retweeting it. And then uh, there there was an article I sent you guys last night. But um, you just saw, you saw so many players just commenting on it. And after the game, they talked to Hassan Reddick, and he, he called the turf, quote, the worst field he's ever played on. Wow. And, you know, the... Chiefs reportedly changed cleats. Uh, Obviously, it impacted guys from both sides. And then in the article, there was a bunch of different uh, video clips of guys slipping. Ouch. Uh, (laughs) Hey, look. I hit my crazy middle finger. Look, somebody hurt themselves other than me. Ow. Bob's middle finger is now going to look like Matt Brash's. Yeah, now I'm going to be able to throw a really crazy... Uh, splitter. It's, it's on your left hand. That's yeah, I know. Okay. That'll make it even crazier. Jeez, I can't believe that that happened here oh, in the one, show and it wasn't me. That one hurt. Uh, but yeah, there he, there was a bunch of different video clips on that article I sent you of, of people you know talking about uh, kicker Jake Elliott slipping and then fell during the kickoff of the second half and just all these different moments. And it, it's just it's it is mind boggling that they spent almost a million dollars on that. A million. It was it was eight hundred thousand. And they put it in two weeks ago, according to the article. Wow. I I just, you know, to me, you know what they need to do, first of all? need to get the Mariner groundskeepers out there. Get the Mariner guys down there. They know exactly what they're doing. But I just just am so surprised that here you have this multi, multi multi-billion dollar business. And really, I mean, that's... I don't want to say that's everything. The players are really every everything, but I mean, it, it's like it's like the players having bad shoulder pads or helmets or something. It's it's such a fundamental part of the game, and you know, a lot of coaches and and scouts will talk about a player's connection to the ground, mm-hmm. you know, and that's 
that's that's really you know it's about your legs and your the angle and everything that you that you run and but if you don't have a reliable surface it doesn't matter so that just and and the fact that it was painted and that they spent that much money on it just makes me think that they spent like five hundred thousand dollars getting an artist to come down and oh this guy's the best spray paint artist that we could find in the entire country (laughs) and you know instead how about get the most qualified groundskeepers that you know do are able to make it so guys aren't slipping around the other thing is and as shannon dreher put it it's the the uh, fields on a tray that they slide in and out so i mean and you know i'm pretty sure that is that roof retract and i think they can yeah i think they can open and close i think it It was open yeah it was open because it was 76 degrees it was like perfect weather but i mean my point is is you can control it i mean you can control whether it gets sun or rain well and the joe pompliano is a guy who who retweeted the videos of it being rolled back and forth and said the nfl spent two years preparing the grass for tonight's field at the super bowl the grass was grown at a local sod farm in phoenix it was installed two weeks ago and the field has been rolled out each morning for daily sunshine. Total cost $800,000. Does that seem like they should have done it earlier than two weeks ago? I mean, couldn't, I don't know. I don't, I, You're I guess more of, a, of an expert when it comes to lawn care than I am. Well, dude. you should see my backyard. It just looks <laughs> awful. So, But, yeah, I mean, I just I think that that's something that you should really overspend on, not so much on, you know, the advertising and, you know, the jerseys and stuff like that. I mean, how about just the most important part? And this is where we talk about, like, you know, with rain or snow or everything, you're you're always like for these big games, you don't want anything to affect anyone. Yeah. You know, and look, obviously both teams have to play on it, but I just want to see everyone play their best game. And that, that really surprises me that they weren't able to get that right. Yeah, the, the paint part of it, I think, contributed to an already existing problem because they were slipping in areas that, that weren't painted. So the, yeah. just the turf in general was problematic. But the paint part... I'm curious because somebody sent in a text earlier in the show and I can't find it, but they they were saying you know in soccer and these other sports they superimpose logos on the field. Yes, uh, so, baseball does that on the mound. So why don't yeah. why wouldn't you do that? I mean, is it important right. for the people in the building to see the logo? I mean, come on, you're 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 you've got hundreds of million or a hundred and whatever right. million watching at home. That's who you're trying to get the logo to. Right. That's who you're trying to. If it's an ad, that's who you want to see the. It's ad okay that, if seventy thousand people don't see it. They're not, they're not paying attention to that anyway. Yeah. So if it is a problem and you can do that for the TV viewers at home, and if I'm an advertiser, that's my audience. That's my target. Yeah. Everybody's sitting on their couch. I want them to see my company's logo on the field or wherever wherever it's supposed to be, but have it superimposed. And, and you t- yeah, they do it on the mound. And you can't even tell. You're like, is that on there? Did they do that in chalk or is that? Yeah. Well, it looks we're, great. We were talking about this also in, in the sports bit before is that, some of the basketball floors that you see now, like Oregon, yeah. has like that the forest or whatever. Um, Colorado State has these huge ram heads that are on the. Oh, I just I just feel like it's just make it a basic court or a basic field. Let's not have all the fancy crap. And if you're going to put any money into the grass, hire more groundskeepers so the players aren't complaining about. It. I see my guy Nick Bolton. Talked about him before the game, and you know he almost had two touchdowns returned. He had one, you know, the, the quickly. One. What do you think of the second one? Well, I just, 
to me, it's like just, one step, two steps, boom, hit with the ball, hit, ball pops out. I'm like, ugh. I, I just feel like in my day and, and before that, that that would have been a touchdown. Yeah. That, was, that was a nice play. Yeah. Yeah. That's, here he is. Uh, he was asked about the field conditions. Here's what he had to say. The field, man, uh, it wasn't as bad as it was uh, early in the year when we played uh, Arizona, but I was a little, little slick out there, man. Um, but again, uh, it's kind of the LMS, man. Just got to try to do what you can. I uh, put the best cleats on available. Uh, and just, just try to find a way to win. Good answer by him. Obviously, it's a pro answer. But, you know, he was alluding to the fact that uh, they went out there, I think their first game of the year. Or maybe it was in preseason. Or was it the first game? Yeah, it was the first game because Harrison Butker got hurt. I don't think it was related That's to right. the field. but Oh, really? But yeah, he got hurt in that game. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, they were complaining about it back then. So, yeah, it's just mystifying to me. Bad things happen in that building on that field. I hate that building. Yeah. Hate that building. <laughs> Implode it with everybody out of it. Make sure nobody gets hurt. <laughs> I like that. I like that clarification. But there you go. So the field, unfortunately, is a talking point. I'm guessing rolling the the stage out there for Rihanna and everything that went on with the halftime show probably didn't help conditions at all. True. Never does. So, yeah, yeah that's where, you know, a surface like what you have at Lumen Field would probably be beneficial. For something like that. Yeah, I, I'm just curious. And Pete is the one who really is uh, that brought up the, the grass thing. So I'd be yeah. curious to hear that. All right. Coming up, the Chiefs O-line came up big in this game. We'll get some insight on it from our O-line expert, Big Ray Roberts. He's going to join us next year with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports Station on 710.